It's such a joy to be with you again. I think this makes six years in a row. And we are thankful and glad and joyful for your partnership in the gospel. And I've just noticed in your program that Pastor Nick's been preaching through the book of Philippians. And as I was just thinking of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul speaks of himself being poured out as a drink offering for the sake of the gospel, and he says, if that's the case, I can live with it. And we, um, as we come ready to go back actually in about mm, 11 days, I think, to Beijing. We are so happy to see you guys as our partners. It's such such a joy to come back each year, uh, but I just need you to tell us your name. Sometimes I know that face, but it's so great. So if you'll remember to do that after the service and introduce yourself to me and Cheryl, that would be tremendous. Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word? I will be reading as an international pastor from the New International Version this morning. And I hope that you'll forgive me for that. And if that's too distracting, then someone hurry up here and bring me an ESV. And I'm actually preaching from my father's Bible. And... Part of the meaning of me preaching from it is that my dad from the age of 60 to when he died at the age of 82, just five years ago, had Parkinson's. And over that time, and this Bible reflects his reduced ability to write legibly. And so my dad's Bible has the initials of who preached what sermon on what day. If I, for, for example, I can turn here and it says OSH. This is the end of 1 Peter 3 7 93. How to get your prayer answered. That's what it says. Or then, um, and you can see his writing, his capacity to write legibly decrease. And so, one of the things, even as I preach from his old NIV, is the reminder that. Time is advancing. Redeem the time. You never know how long you have until your capacity, until the opportunity is in there. And so it's created a sense of urgency in my ministry. Well, John 10. Hear the word of God. I tell you the truth. The man who does not, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, They will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. All right, by the way, just as a pause, that's this shift that we see in the Bible from Judaism in our understanding of the people of God as the children of Abram to the church and the gospel going to the Gentiles, okay? Now, just to continue. Jesus says, verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. Again, this command I received from my Father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? As we read in Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, this morning, I want us to focus a bit on John 10 in verse 11. I've just realized there's, did there used to be a clock up there? You know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch, right? Nothing. But I'll try to make, I'll try to make it count this morning. Okay, it's great. So you'll notice that our title is Jesus, the paradoxical good shepherd. Hmm. What is a paradox? It's a truth you wouldn't anticipate. Jesus says the way up is what? Down. The way to be filled is what? To be emptied. Yes, of ourselves. So Jesus is this paradoxical good shepherd that we wouldn't quite anticipate. Now, if you're taking notes... I want to give you the big idea for the message. If someone says, what's the big idea of your message? Here it is in under 15 words. Jesus is the model shepherd who gives life to his sheep by not saving his own. That's it. Jesus is the model shepherd who gives life to his sheep by not saving 
his own. And you know, I wanted to give you kind of a fallen condition focus. That is, we're thinking, what in our human experience, or how in our human experience, does the gospel in this word that we'll see today from John 10 intersect us in our need, in our sinfulness? Here it is. On our own, we would never listen to God's voice in the demonstration of obedience. How many of you have children who sometimes you struggle to get them to listen? Sometimes you take your children's face, maybe. Does anyone ever do this? Like, look, look at mommy, look at daddy, like, look at me, look at me. And on our own, we're like those children. We'd never listen to God's voice and show that by our obedience. We're simply too stubborn or independent. And it's easy to express this. And we live in a very individualistic age. We see that sometimes when we are with people from other countries who live more communally. They think less of themselves and they tend to think of the common good. But in the States, we prize our rights and our individualism. And on our own, we'd never lay down our lives for the life of another. We're simply too selfish and self-centered. And you understand that sometimes you'll recognize this inherent selfishness that you have, that we have, where frankly, we're going to look out for ourselves before we're going to lay our lives down for another. Not so would Jesus The paradoxical good shepherd. Jesus, here's our big idea. Jesus is what? He is not simply the good shepherd. He's the model shepherd who gives life to his sheep by not saving his own. 1969. There was a father. He was a dentist. He was a believer. He was an accomplished mountain climber. It was Memorial Day weekend in Washington State, Mount Rainier. And Dr. James Reddick had his two children. Sharon was 12. David was 11. They were with several others, and they were on a hike, a climb at Mount Rainier. And they began to go up, and then suddenly, as is the case there in that part of the Pacific Northwest and that mountain, this sudden squall, a sudden just incredibly fierce winds, blinding snow, the temperature dropped to somewhere around 70 degrees. And there came a point that Dr. Reddick made a fatal mistake. It was with the party, two in the party wanted to go back, but he wanted with his kids to keep pushing forward. There was something, we don't know why. And they got... There they were, dad and, and uh, two children, Sharon and David. And all of a sudden, they re- he realized he was in trouble. He had a mess kit, had a little shovel. That snow began to just, just blow and stick, plaster the sides. I guess there was snow maybe even under them where they were. And he built a little, a, a little you might call it a snow cave. And he, he had a tarp. 
He had a couple of sleep. Apparently they were to some degree prepared. He put Sharon and David in sleeping bags deep in this cave, this snow cave that he dug. He had a tarp and he tried to cover the entrance to their snow cave and the, with the gale force winds, the tarp kept blowing away. So eventually, somehow with his body and the tarp, he was able to give protection to his kids inside the snow cave. Several days later, though, here's what happened. Two days later, when he and his children were, did not appear, searchers were looking for him, and there was just this piece of a back pack, just a little bit showing out of the snow, just a corner protruding from that white scene. And these searchers rushed to the side. They were hoping to find all three of these missing hikers, and they did find Sharon and David very much alive. But Dr. Reddick had succumbed to, the hypothermia, to hypothermia, he died. He's right there. Actually, right at the, at the entrance part where his children were behind him. He was stiff. Absolutely dead. Cold. The searchers said that Dr. Reddick, for his children, had taken what was called the cold spot. He'd used his own back, his own body, as the outer wall to protect his children from the elements. James Reddick was a picture of the church's great shepherd king who took the cold spot for his sheep. If you're familiar with John's gospel, you know that John's gospel has the seven I am's of Jesus. What's the first one? Does anyone know from John 6? We like to eat, right? And in much of the world, what do they eat? Their daily bread. John 6, 35, when the crowds were following Jesus because their bellies ached and growled, Jesus declared this. He said, I am the bread of life. And he said, he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. John 8 John records this. He said, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the what of the world? Yeah. I am the light of the world. I'll never forget being in Argentina, hearing this preached in Spanish. I think it was, yo soy la luz del mundo. Does that sound right? Yo soy la luz del mundo. I, Jesus says, am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I want to jump ahead for a moment from John 10 to John 11. Who died in John 11? Who died? Lazarus. Who who were the sisters of Lazarus? Do you remember? At least one. Yeah, Martha. And Jesus is speaking... To Martha after Lazarus had died. And it's easy to forget, this wasn't simply Martha's brother, but Lazarus was Jesus' what? Friend. Friend. And Jesus says to her, Hey, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will actually never die. So if you're hungry, I'll fill you. I'm the bread of life. All right? You're thirsty in me. You'll forever forever be filled and satisfied. If you're in darkness, I'm the light of the world. And if you walk with me, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. You have the light of life. And for Martha, this sickness isn't unto death. I'm the resurrection and the life. How about in John 14, in what we call the upper room discourse? Jesus is speaking to Thomas there and the disciples as he's preparing his disciples for his departure and his eventual return. And he says to the disciples, he says, you know, you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. You lost? I'm the way. You're looking, you're on a a search and a quest for ultimate truth. I am the truth. You're dead. Life has beat you up. You're crushed under the weight of your sins. You'd You'd rather die than be alive. He said, I'm the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then in John 15. And like John 14, 6, where Jesus was talking here to Thomas, Jesus is giving this upper room discourse, what we might call final instructions. And Jesus says, I am the what? I am the true vine. And my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then in verse 5 of John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do what? Something? Everything? Nothing. But there are two more I am's. They're in our chapter this morning in John chapter 10. Verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the what? I am the door. I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 11. Our focus this morning. Does Jesus say, I am a good shepherd? No. Jesus says what? I am the Good shepherd. And then it's as though he's speaking of himself in third person. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. And then in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And what demonstrates that? He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And that's more than me simply saying, I know of Caleb Myers. 
This speaks of personal, intimate, real, relational knowledge and love and affection. It's deeper simply than, I know that there's 21 million people in Beijing. And Jesus says, in this role as the Good Shepherd, I know my sheep. I know that one's ba, and I know that this one's hair goes this way, and that one's hair goes this way, and this one, that sheep is always following behind, and this one never wants to listen to my voice, and this one's got a hobbled front left foot. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now, I want to ask four simple questions this morning. The fourth one is actually where we'll flesh out some application. Number one, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us. In fact, in all the seven I am's of John's gospel, Jesus, Jesus is telling us who he is. Have you ever had someone try to speak for you or tell you about you, and you want to look at them. Some of you may have had this experience, and you're like, you don't know me. Has anyone ever had that experience? Yeah. You're like, you don't know me? Or someone says, well, you, you think, and you want to be like, time out. Hey, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Right? Jesus says, this is who I am. Ego a me. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. It is Jesus who tells us who he is. And in John 10:11 and in John 10:14 He says, I am the good shepherd. And I've already said, he's a model shepherd. By good, we don't mean so much the opposite of bad. Like, you know when you walk in the house sometimes? Hey, how was your day? Good, bad, not bad. Do any of you women have husbands who answer like that? Like they've been gone for 12 hours. How was your day? Not bad, good. You mean you're summarizing 12 hours in two seconds? Tell me more, you know. (laughs) This is more, when we say Jesus, when he says of himself, I'm the good shepherd, it's more than the opposite of bad. And we don't mean good as in she's a good student, as in commendable. The idea here is that Jesus is the model shepherd. He's noble. Jesus has perfect worth as a shepherd. He's the prototypical shepherd. He's the perfect prototype after which every excellent shepherd should be modeled. You know the word calligraphy. Who likes, does anyone here do calligraphy or enjoy writing? Anyone? Ah, okay. Calligraphy simply means what? Calligraphy is from callous, which means what? Sam, what does that mean? Callous in Greek. Good, beautiful, Yeah, it's simply, so calligraphy is what? Beautiful writing, good writing. 
And that's what Jesus says he is. He's perfect. He's noble. He's the model. Have any of you had this experience either with your children, do you remember as a child, when you're trying to write your letters or cursive, and someone says, here, this is how you write an A, and it's like counterclockwise all the way up and then down and to the right, or a Q, and you do that. And most of us now write somewhere in this mix between block letters, like we learned in elementary school, and full-blown cursive, kind of a hybrid, it's what we do, because we're too lazy to do anything else. Jesus, like the way our teacher or our mom or our dad showed us how to write a letter and then we copied it, Jesus is the model shepherd. What does Jesus do as the good shepherd? That's our second question. The good shepherd does what? What do we read there in John 10, 11, the second half? What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is not a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He lays His life on the line. He gives His life for the life of the sheep. Some of you know the name Cleve McClary. Does anyone know that name? Does anyone? I see. You know. Okay. Look that up. Cleve. C-L-E-B-E McClary. Cleve McClary fought for the U.S. in Vietnam and threw himself on a grenade for a buddy and lost an eye and part of an arm and is one of the most godly, positive men you'll ever meet in your life. He lives actually in the state of South Carolina on the coast. Cleve McClary laid down his life for his friend and he didn't have any time to think about it. It was instant. And he covered it first. It's a beautiful story. You ought to look him up. Jesus does that for his sheep. Rather than committing himself to territorialism or self-protection or self-defense, he lays down his life for the sheep. Just like Paul says, he in Philippians 2 is being poured out like a drink offering for the sacrifice, as a sacrifice for the faith of the Philippian church. So Jesus does this for His sheep. And it makes sense if you look in verse 10. What do we read of what the thief does? What does the thief come to do in verse 10? He comes with only one mission in mind. To steal and kill and destroy the sheep. But what does Jesus do in a very glaring contrast? Jesus comes to give life. What type of life? Abundant life. Life to the full. He says, I have come that they, that is my sheep, might have life and might have it to the full. As the model shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. And then in verse 15, look in verse 15, as an expression of, of being known by the Father and knowing the Father, again he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 17, look at this. Think about this. Jesus actually attributes the Father's love for him to this. 
He gives a reason, an explanation. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I rarely do this, but I want to read to you from D.A. Carson on this section of John 10. It's important to remember that Jesus is giving us a metaphor about himself. And and we always want to remember that the Gospels, right, the Gospels are the inspired record of Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, And the letters, the letters of the New Testament, are the inspired interpretation of that narrative of those four Gospels. So right now, here we are in John, and and John is giving, as he's narrating, with a particular focus in mind that we might believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and giving us these seven I Am's. We're reading of Jesus giving us metaphors or word pictures of himself to describe himself. So let me read D.A. Carson. He says, Within the metaphorical world, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep means no more than that he is prepared to do so. He is willing to risk his life for the sheep. Perhaps by beating back a marauding bear... And there he's referring to David in 1 Samuel 17. But D.A. Carson continues, he says, But the death of shepherds for such reasons must have been fairly rare. Didn't occur very often. And even then it would never be the intention of the shepherd to die. The shepherds, there with their flocks, never got up on a morning and said, This is the day I'm going to die for my sheep. I'm intending to do that. That would leave his flock entirely exposed. But by the strong language Jesus, he points beyond the metaphorical world to himself. Beyond real sheep and real shepherds and pastures and threats like bears and lions and whatever. Jesus points to himself. He does not merely risk his life. He lays it down in line with the Father's will. Far from being accidental, Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him to be the good shepherd. And anytime Pastor Nick does a benediction from the end of Hebrews 13, like Hebrews 13, 20, you can look it up later, which acknowledges Jesus to be that great shepherd of the sheep. And by his death, watch this, by his death as the sheep's shepherd, far from exposing his flock to further ravages, Jesus draws them, that that is his sheep, to himself. In fact, he says in John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will do what? What will I do? I will draw all men to myself. Now, I want to ask a third question. How does Jesus contrast with those who have no interest 
in the sheep. Preachers are often figuring out ways to craft sermons that you remember them, right? That's our goal, is to be to preach in such a way as to point people to Jesus Christ, and we're always thinking about ways to alliterate. So I want to give you three ways to think of this passage. When you start from John 10, verse 1 through 121, there are those who don't care for the sheep. They're looking for an alternate way to get into the sheep pen instead of going through the gate of the sheep. Who's the gate of the sheep? Who's the gate? Jesus. That's right. Good. Good. I heard a, girl, a little girl say, Jesus. That's, a lot of times that's the answer to every question in church, right? Jesus. But it's the definite answer for there. The alternate way doesn't work. The only way is through the gate, and the gate for the sheep is Jesus. And then there are those who would attack the sheep. They only come what? They could be thieves, but they could be wolves. They could be an animal. They come only to steal and kill and destroy. And, and, and destroy. But then there's a third. Not just those that want to go an alternate way. Not those who want to attack the sheep. But then there are those who want to what? Abandon the sheep. Abandon the sheep. And in all this, let's first for a moment think about the sheep. The sheep do not know his voice. So they do not follow him. If you're a kid, raise your hand just for a moment. If you say, I'm a kid. All right, just raise your hand. All right. Now, some of you are just big kids. And we've all, to some degree, not grown up, so we're still kid-like. Okay. If you're a kid, now, some of you might say, I think I'm a Christian. Okay? Some of you might think, I think I've really become a Christian, but I haven't been baptized. Right? What do sheep do with their shepherd? Sheep who know their shepherd, what do they do with that? They hear their shepherd's voice. They know that shepherd. And what do they do? They follow. So you say, I'm a kid. And I think I'm a Christian kid at Redeemer Baptist Church. I have a question. If you say you love Jesus and you know him, do you obey him? And for when you're a kid, obeying Jesus, obeying God, you know what that looks like most of the time? Obeying who? Mom and dad. The test of love has always been and will always be obedience. If you say, I think I love Jesus and I'm a kid, I'm a Christian kid, then I have a question. Do you follow mom and dad? Are you pushing back against mom and dad? Are you trying to avoid obeying mom and dad? Jesus' sheep know his voice. And they follow him. They know him as their shepherd. And that's very different than the thief. You know, these robbers come. And they don't want to go through the one and only acceptable gate. That's Jesus. They just want to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus' interest is life. There's a second group who really don't have the interest of the sheep at heart. And that's the hired hand. You know, every summer we come home to South Carolina. 
And our yard never looks quite as good as it does after we've been here about two months. Guess why? Guess who owns that yard at our house in South Carolina? Guess who cares the most about that grass at, that house, that, at our house? So guess who takes care of the grass? Yeah. Jesus says, the hirelings, those who don't really have an ownership interest in the sheep, they will abandon the sheep at the toughest moments. And unlike the true shepherd, they'll abandon those sheep when the wolves come to attack and scatter scatter the flock. You can see that in verses 12 through 13. Now, I want to ask, as you think of this passage, and we remember our big ideas that Jesus is that model shepherd who gives life to his sheep, not by saving his own, but by giving his life for the life of the sheep. I want to ask this question, how do we confront Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep? How do we confront Jesus? When we confront, confront Jesus, we see him as he is. We, we see and we hear a, a shepherd king who wants all of us. We, we receive life in the process as, as, as we pour out our own for him. You know what this is like sometimes? Have you ever been out to eat and maybe um, you're sitting there and you've got a $5 bill in your pocket and that's a little less than you should put for a tip? Ten, ten bucks is maybe a little bit more than you should put normally, depending how you tip. And you know how you, sometimes your hand gravitates to do what? I'll just put as little as what? I'll put as little as I can get away with. When the 10, you think the 10 would be generous. The 10 would be appropriate for this person who's cared for me. When we confront Jesus this morning as the good shepherd, he laid it all down. He didn't hold back. Luke says that he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. It's R.C. Sproul that says of Jesus as he's commenting on Matthew Chapter 26, verse 39, when Jesus was in the garden, it said he was sweating like, Matthew says, like sweating in such a way it looked like drops of blood. We read in Matthew 26, 39, it says that going a little farther, Jesus fell down with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then a few verses later, in verse 42, it says, He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And R.C. Sproul reminds us that it was the Lord Jesus who took the cup that contained God's wrath, and he tipped it back and he drank all of it. You know what it's like sometimes to know that there are grinds in your coffee and sometimes you think, I'll just drink it rather than deal with it. You just drink it. Jesus for us, people of God, Jesus for us took in laying down his life as the great shepherd for the sheep. He took the cup of God's wrath for us and he drank all of it. 
And that's why I am free. And you are free to love. We are free to love one another. We are free to repent of our sin. We are free to embrace the Gospel. We are free like Paul to to count our lives not as our own, to pour them out on behalf of one another. And for this sole prize of gaining the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are free, 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 free as His sheep, as those for whom He laid down His life to do that. But how do we confront Jesus this morning as a good shepherd who lays down His life? Well, He calls us to confidence and faith. To come time and time again in faith to Him as our great shepherd king. We're, t- we're often too lazy. We're too distracted. And I think we need to hear in this age a call to Christian maturity to trust God now as we've seen how he- He's been trustworthy in the past. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. He can be trusted. He calls us to confidence and faith. He also calls us to gratitude that He's not a stranger whose voice we do not know or cannot follow. He opened our eyes. He removed those scales from our eyes. He unplugged our ears so that we can hear. He took out this stony heart if we're believers. And He gave us a living, pulsing, sensitive heart that says, when the Spirit of Isaiah, here am I, Lord. What? Here am I. Send those guys? No. Send me. In me. That's God's doing. Paul says to the Corinthians, why do you boast about things you didn't, they weren't self-generated. You're not self-made men and women. You've received the gift of faith. There's a third thing he calls us to. He calls us to gratitude that he didn't come like the strangers or thieves or wolves who only come to the sheep pen to steal, to kill and destroy, but he came that he might have life and have it to the full. This is the paradox of Jesus is our good shepherd. That for every human shepherd, that shepherd's death is absolute disaster for the flock. But for you and me, for the church, from the very first believer to the last before Jesus comes back, his death is life and gain for us. And He calls us to gratitude that He was and is no hired hand who ran at the first sign of difficulty, but He went resolutely to the cross on our behalf. Some of you, some of you this morning, you have trials and you have temptations and you are going through transitions, whether it's difficulty in marriage or you're expecting another child or you're wondering, will we ever get pregnant? Will I ever get married? I hate my boss. If you'd only give me the respect I'm, I'm due, or a husband, you're thinking, if my wife would only know all that I'm doing for the family, if you might think, if my parents would only get off my back. And Jesus shows us as he lays down his life that we, as his servants, are not greater than our master. If he went through heat, we're going through heat. If he was stumbling on stones, we're stumbling. 
If he was praying in a garden, God, if it's possible, if there's any alternative way, let this pass from me, then that'll be true for us. There's a third thing he calls, a final thing he calls us to, and I want to challenge us on this, and that is he calls us to imitate him in our relationships as men and women, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as citizens and members, as pastors, as elders and deacons, to lay down our lives for the benefit of one another. Stop asking what Redeemer Baptist Church will do for you. Fifty years ago, someone commented, Americans saw themselves as citizens. But now young adults don't define themselves as citizens. They define themselves not as citizens, but as consumers. What's your mindset? It was Dwight Moody that says, do all the good you can for all the people you can with all the time that you have. Because there's this paradox that's modeled by the paradoxical good shepherd that when we've emptied ourselves were filled. When we take a low position, we're exalted. It was Jesus who said, a new command I give you in John 13, as I've loved you, so love one another. And then turn, and we'll be done. Turn with me to 1 John 3.16. Don't you love how in the division of the Bible into chapters and verses that sometimes... You hit this one right. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 speaks of God, speaks of love. Let's see, where is 1 John? I think it's way to the right in the New Testament. I think I'll turn there. Hold on. 1 John 3.16. You know John 3.16. What? Can someone quote it real quick? Can you quote John 3.16? Thank you, Mr. Myers. And how, let's look at 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Just like John 10.11. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Let's bring this down to kind of street level. It's not going to be very often that someone says, I have a real financial need. If the church doesn't help me with $100, we're not eating this week. But sometimes you get a phone call and you just want to be left alone. You've worked all day and someone calls you and it's 8 o'clock at night. And love looks like you listening. That's what love looks like. Sometimes you notice someone in this body that doesn't have one real friend You think nobody knows them. And you contact them and say, I just want to have time with you. Or why don't you come over and have dinner? And it's not tight. It's not like come over for an hour. Like you come. And when you're you're ready to go home, you leave. But you come into our life. We want time with you. I'll come to you. Laying down our lives sometimes looks like sharing our material possessions with them. But more often it looks like giving them our undivided attention and bearing their burdens in Christ. Laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters reveals that we are Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is that model shepherd. He is that noble shepherd who laid down his life, who gave his life for us that we might not have to give our life in the same way. Yet we still do, right? So here's the big idea. The big idea. He's the model shepherd who gave his life to his sheep by not saving his own. This morning, confront Jesus. Confront Jesus in his own words. Come to this great shepherd king. Some of you, I know anytime I'm preaching to 100 people, someone here doesn't know the great shepherd. And he says, come to me, the end of Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all you who weary and and heavy laden. And it's an amazing thing, he says, and I'll give you rest. Then he says something that's a paradox. He says, "You you put my yoke, you put my yoke on you. And when you do that, what would normally be called an implement of burden will be an implement of joy and light and freedom. Don't leave. Don't let the sun set on this day without saying, Jesus, I've been a wandering sheep. Come. Help me come home to you in faith and repentance, and give me life. Amen. God, help us today to see Jesus in the Word.